You've probably heard it all before, but this time, let Dr. Lanker connect the dots in a way that makes the Christian faith come alive. I'm your host, Dr. Jason Lanker, and I'm here to help you connect the dots. As a pastor and professor for the last 30 years, I want to help you not only understand the Christian faith, but to make it a transformative part of your everyday experience. Join me as we connect the dots. In our last episode, we saw that Noah was not chosen because he was righteous. He was simply chosen because he found favor in God's eyes. God needed someone to be able to work through, to be able to carry the story of a sinful past and the brokenness that comes in our rebellion to God, to be able to help this new creation, this reset creation, to never go there again. Now, even though God chooses this man, in a sense, despite his righteousness, there still needs to be some level of goodness, right? I mean, just God, if he's going to make things right, he needs good people to be able to do that. And that's what we're going to need to look into and understand a little bit more fully as we follow through with the story of the flood. One of the first things that we see about how God interacts with his creation is that God determines what decisions he's going to make, and he keeps his promises. Right after Noah sacrifices to him and it's a pleasing aroma to God, God says, I will never again flood the earth. I've hit the reset button once, that's it, it will never happen again. I am not going to keep going through this endless cycle of, okay, well, you messed it up to this point, let's start again. You messed it up to this point, let's start again. You're going to have to learn from this, and this is why I've saved you, Noah, to be able to help my creation to never find itself back in the place that it was before the flood. And the way that God determines that he's going to do that is he's going to keep reminding us and calling us back to our purpose. The first words out of God's mouth to Noah and his family is, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over it. That goes all the way back to Genesis 1 and the first command that God gives to his creation in the garden. That's our purpose, to make the most out of our lives in the world in which we live, to bring God the most glory and us the most joy. And he also inserts in there this really kind of like out of the blue statement that doesn't seem to fit unless you remember the story. He says in 9.6, whoever sheds another blood by humans shall their blood be shed. Why would he say that right after walking out of the ark? Well, where did sin go in this original telling of the story? Adam and Eve ate from a tree, decided they would be like God. The first act of rebellion after that, Cain murdering his brother Abel. Our sin leads to murder. It leads to the nth degree quicker than what we would ever think that it would. And God wants to remind Noah, hey, I'm not going to sit here and watch over this whole process to make sure that you guys aren't sinning. You've seen where it goes. Now it's your responsibility to cut sin off at the pass. And if you're responsible for the death penalty, you're responsible for every amount of rule and law and governance below that. That's as far as the bad could go. You take care of everything. You see what choices lead to. And I want you to watch over this creation and to govern it the way that I've shown you it needs to be governed. It also shows that mankind has learned. They've grown. They know 
that what murder looks like and how it can impact a society and how important it is to be able to address that and to fix it and to keep that out of the worlds in which we live. The next thing that God says, I will never destroy the earth again, and I am going to make a covenant with you. And in verses 9 through 11, he explains that covenant. The verses from 12 on to about verse 17, he explains what the rainbow is and how it's a sign of this covenant. This is the first time that we hear this word covenant in scripture. And we're going to hear it repeatedly because God is a covenant God. He's not a contractual God. He's a covenant God. He doesn't make two-sided agreements. I do my side, and if you do your side, then I'll keep my side. No, I am going to make my side, and whether you keep it or not, I'm going to keep my end of the bargain. I have made a promise, and I am holding myself to it. And what God says is, I make this covenant not just to you humans, but I make it to all of creation. I will never destroy you ever again. You're going to have to live in and with and through the consequences, and you're going to have to work through all that hardship to redeem it if it ever gets anywhere close to what it got here at the beginning. I am preparing you to rule and reign with me, and now I'm turning it over to you. God entrusts his creation to us. And he doesn't entrust it just because he doesn't want a part of it. He entrusts it because he wants us to know him, to truly live with him, because we are experiencing the same sort of work and the same sort of life that he knows from all of creation. And he's entering us into that work with him. How amazing it is that God gives such a precious care to people who are such knuckleheads and says, hey, we'll figure this out. We'll be able to make this work. Because as soon as Noah walks off the ark, what does he do? He goes and gets drunk. Noah, the righteous man, gets completely hammered. And he's laying in his tent. His son comes in the tent. And it says that Ham sees his father's nakedness. Now, in Hebrew, that's a colloquialism. That's a, that's a way of saying that there's a sexual relationship there. Now, there's no other place in the ancient world that talks about what this event could potentially be. One of the ways that you could see somebody's nakedness would be to see them having sex. Noah's married. Maybe Ham walks in sees his parents having sex, which none of us want to imagine. And instead of being disgusted by it, he walks out and tells his brothers and they're just shocked. So they go back in and they cover their father's nakedness. That's one potential. If that's the case, then where's Noah's mother in the process? The other one, and it's a little bit even more gruesome and gross, is to, to engage with them sexually. So maybe Ham went in and committed incest with his father. Either way, the curse is so strong that Noah says, you know what, your son, not even you, Ham, your son is going to be treatment of me. These are the first things that happen after they walk off the boat, is you see drunkenness to the place where you have no clue what's going on in your world, and sexual perversion inside the family, um, whether it's incest or whether it's voyeurism. 
those two things shouldn't be in a new reset world. And that is the whole point of this story. We can never get rid of sin by getting rid of the bad people over there because sin resides in every single one of us. And given the chance, any of us can make dumb choices and stupid mistakes. So what does God do? Does he get rid of them? No, he said, I will never destroy the earth ever again. He begins a process of redemption that we're going to follow through the rest of the story. And we're going to see through Shem, through Ham, through Japheth, but primarily through the Shemites or what we know as, as the Semites. The Semitic people are the people that the Israelites are descended through. In the text of, of Genesis chapter 10, there's nothing that the Semites, the, the Shemites were such special people, so much better than the Japhethites. In fact, if we can say anything about them, they're probably pretty messed up people, which is the statement, which is the answer to the question that we introduced at the beginning. Does God need some level of goodness in order to bring redemption in his world? Doesn't he need to pick the best of us in order to do godly kind of work? And the answer is no. No, he could pick any of us. And he regularly does. In fact, he regularly picks the worst of us because he wants to show that he truly is the God of redemption, the God who makes things right, not good people not people who never make mistakes, not people who've learned their lessons, but people who trust in his goodness and try to follow him and walk with him the best that they can, even when they find themselves in the situations that Noah and his family found themselves as soon as they walked off the ark. God is not a God of condemnation. He's a God of salvation who offers all people the opportunity to know his goodness and his grace if we would simply walk with him and do whatever he commanded. That's the story we'll continue to follow as we look into the Tower of Babel and beyond. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast. And if you'd like more information, please visit us at drjasonlanker.com. That's D-R-Jason-L-A-N-K-E-R. May you go in the grace of God, and may you not just understand the Christian faith, but live it more fully this week.